Thank you for tuning in to Season 3, Episode Number 1 of Strike the Match. It is great to be back with you after a welcomed break from Season 2. Hey, I've got some exciting guests lined up for this season. We're going to be dealing with some very important topics. And to kick this season off, I thought it would be important to bring on someone who has ministry experience in the Muslim world because Ramadan is right around the corner. And so on this episode, I have Dr. John Clausen with us. He's going to be talking about his work. He's going to be talking about a book that he has written, and he's going to be talking about how we can better understand and share our faith with Muslims. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. You know, you don't have to uh, go very far today uh, when it comes to the media to hear uh, messages related to uh, Islam uh, in in the world. In fact, uh, just listening uh, this morning to uh, some stories on NPR, and uh, even prior to that, I was reading some things uh, on my phone uh, about um, different Muslim groups uh, across the world uh, today. Uh, in uh, our uh, episode uh, of Strike the Match today, I have a, a friend uh, with us, uh, Dr. John Clausen, uh, is going to be uh, sharing with us today that I am so thankful uh, that he's given his time to, to speak to us uh, because he has lived uh, for many years uh, in, uh, in the Muslim world and uh, he has uh, written about Islam, written about uh, how to share your faith with Muslims, uh, his book, Engaging with Muslims, Understanding Their World, Sharing Good News. We're going to talk about that today. And uh, he is now in the States. Uh, he serves as uh, the Associate Professor of Global Studies uh, with Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's also the director of the Doctor of Missiology program uh, at uh, the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary there in Louisville, Kentucky as well. Uh, John, he's pastored churches uh, uh, before, uh, served uh, as a pastor in Kentucky right now. He's actually a minister of missions at uh, Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, his wife, uh, li- he and his wife lived in Spain and in North Africa from 1992 uh, until 2010. And uh, in Louisville today, he finds himself uh, serving among the Iraqi refugee community. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting conversation today as we talk about John's work uh, and his book and uh, the whole understanding uh, of the Muslim world and Islam. So, John, I'm so thankful that you're here. Welcome to Strike the Match. Thank you, J.D. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's good to, to see you, to, to, to be around you once again. You know, I- Absolutely. I I, uh, I enjoy our time together. I remember when I used to teach there at Southern, I, I think you were in my classes a few times uh, lecturing to students. I was. That was always considered for me a, a huge privilege just to, to be with you and, and to enjoy that time together. Tell us, uh, just to kind of get us started, a little bit about your ministry background. I know we're going to get into your book and uh, some under, understanding some things related to, to Muslim uh, ministry today. But but for those that of you, or for those that are listening out there, that are not familiar with you and uh, and your ministry, can you share a little bit about your journey with us? Absolutely. I I come from a, a family of of, uh, of missionaries. To be quite honest, my grandparents on both sides of my family. We're in Ecuador and Colombia when the gospel was still starting to to take root. And I remember their stories of being in places 
where the gospel wasn't. When my wife and I decided that uh, we were supposed to go overseas, that's what we looked for. And so God placed us in in North Africa. And just a, a tremendous 18 years of being on the ground um, in in a place where, where the gospel wasn't. And, that, and that's the thing about the Muslim world, right? Um, where we were, it was 99.9% Islamic, um, Sunni Muslims. And uh, God just privileged us to, to be there for a long time. When we moved back to Louisville in uh, 2009, we continued with the International Mission Board. But when we moved back to Louisville, um, we found ourselves in a city with uh, a lot of refugees. And while we weren't able to go back to North Africa at, at that particular point, moment in our lives, we found ourselves saying, but our calling is still the same, and that's to reach out to people who, who've never heard, who've never had the opportunity to understand the gospel. So we got heavily involved in refugee ministry and have been doing that for the last, gosh, eight years. Um, and uh, just enjoying getting to know, getting to love, and getting to share the gospel with Muslims here in our city. Man, that is so great. Uh, you know, I have encountered people over the years that uh, served outside of a North American context, and uh, they came home for whatever reason and felt like there were no unreached people groups uh, in uh, in the United States or Canada and there was really nothing for left for them to do in a, in a North American context except maybe work among reach people groups. But that's certainly not the case, is it? No, absolutely not, especially – and today I think it's becoming just – it's more at the forefront, right? People mm-hmm. hear about it more perhaps. But here in Louisville, we're, we're a receiving city, and uh, we, we have thousands of refugees that, that come in. And they are all over the city. They're close to the the church where where we're part of. They're in our neighborhood. In fact, we chose our neighborhood because it's a starter neighborhood for refugees. When they're able to get out of their apartment complex and they're able to buy a house, they buy um, in our neighborhood where we're living. So um, we were strategic in, in saying, hey, this is where we want to be and uh, enabling us to, to go deeper with people. Let's take a moment and, and talk about your book, Engaging with Muslims. Uh, fantastic book. It is uh, easy to read, easy to grasp. Uh, for those of you that are listening, I, I had the, the privilege of being able to to read the, the draft before the book was published. Uh, if you're a pastor listening today and you want uh, a book that I call The One-Stop Shop, uh, to introduce your people to Islam, uh, to how to share my faith with Muslims. Uh, I want to strongly encourage you to listen in, uh, but definitely get a copy of this book, uh, Engaging uh, with Muslims. Uh, John, let's, let's, let me begin by asking this question. Why did you write uh, a book uh, on this particular topic? Well, first, let me say, I think you're being too kind. But <laughs> you can send me some money later. How about that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I really appreciate those nice words. But uh, um, I'll tell you, I, I wrote the book. I, I uh, The Good Book Company, which is just a wonderful publisher, they, they actually contacted me, which makes it really nice, especially in, in my role now as a professor. Um, and uh, they had written a chapter I wrote in a book called A Guide to Evangelism. Um, Dan DeWitt was the editor of that. It's an SBTS publication. But they had read it and liked what I had to say. And they said, listen, John, we want a basic, simplistic, in a sense, easy-to-read book that, that challenges people to, to reach out to their Muslim neighbor. 
And uh, I, I loved the, the idea. So this is a real entry-level book. If you're already well-versed in Islam, it's, it's not a book for you. Um, but this is a book for church members who find themselves in a, a city or a place where there are Muslims around them. And its sole purpose is to give you an introduction and help you to start to understand, well, who are these people that, uh, that are living next to me that I'm working with or that are refugees in my city? And how do I think about taking the gospel to them? Because the thing that we realize is the majority of the refugees that have come in, especially from the Islamic world, they're from places like Afghanistan. They're from Syria. They're from Somalia. They're from Iraq. These are countries that we just don't go easily into. And uh, they're difficult places. But here they are mm -hmm. in the United States where we have freedom of speech and we can share the gospel openly with them. And we have to understand that God has brought them to us and we have this responsibility. You know, and this, this book is, is helpful even when connecting with, with Muslims that are, that are not refugees, because obviously mm. not all the Muslims that are here in the United That's States right. or in, in Canada are, are refugees. Absolutely. I, it's, it's written because of my experience. I tried to write from experience. I want you to know what we're doing. And so the majority of what we do is with refugees. But absolutely, hopefully there are helps in the book. There are ideas. There are ways to start to communicate the gospel um, with your Pakistani doctor, your Indian doctor, or the 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 engineer who lives down the street. Um, here in, in Louisville, we have all kinds of South Age, Asian Indians that, that work at at places like Humana and GE and, and other locations that are many who are Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's an opportunity to, to get into their lives. Ramadan, it, uh, it's starting very, very soon. And um, I wanted to, to ask you to kind of explain what Ramadan is to, to, the, to the listener, because uh, I know that there are, there are some folks that are listening in uh, that do not have a great familiarity with a lot of um, Islamic uh, practices uh, and words, terminology. And so since the media is going to be picking up on uh, Ramadan very soon and promoting it uh, across the world, can, can, you, can you spend just a moment just explaining to us what is Ramadan? Yeah, Ramadan will be starting here right away. In fact, probably this weekend. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's based off the lunar calendar. So the first thing you have to understand about Ramadan is it shifts every year going backwards on our calendar. So this this year it'll be the end of May um, into the end of June. Next year it'll shift by about 10 days. So it'll start somewhere around the 15th of May till around June the 15th. But Ramadan is, is one of the pillars, one of the fundamental practices that all Muslims are supposed to do. And it's basically 30 days of fasting from sunrise to sunset. If, if you run into a, a, a Muslim friend or, or a Muslim neighbor who's really strict, they won't even swallow their spit. Um, it, it is a, a time of absolute fasting. Now, um, during from sunrise to sunset, it's fasting. Now, from sunset to sunrise, uh, it, it's a time of feasting. So when we lived in North Africa, my friends who were there, 
Um, I had one particular friend who was a medical doctor, ran a hospital, and he said, John, the problem with Ramadan is people eat more during this month than they do any other time of the year. <laughs> and he had more gastrointestinal problems during the month of Ramadan than he would at other times. And so he a said, lot of That's... people gaining weight during Ramadan. It, people actually gain weight during Ramadan. Yeah, it, but it's a, a great time of celebration. Now, the thing that you have to realize when you're working with a Muslim is it's a time of intense spiritual pride and warfare as well. So these people are completing one of the main pillars of Islam. They are feeling extremely religious, and they are looking at us as irreligious, as less than. So when you're dealing with your Muslim friends during Ramadan, it's important to talk about fasting. And as believers, we know that that Jesus told us that, that it's good to fast, that it's it's mm-hmm. proper. Now it's not it's not required, um, but it's good, and it, it's a spiritual discipline in our lives. And so it's not wrong to talk about that with our Muslim friends and to talk about the way Jesus told us to fast. What you find in Ramadan is a lot of Muslims will wear their fasting. In fact, when you fast during Ramadan, you're not supposed to even wear deodorant. You're not supposed to wear perfumes. You're not supposed to um, wear makeup. It's a a very outward um, type of fast, unlike what what Jesus gave us, telling us to go into our closet, to to be quiet about it, to to smile, to, to... to not let people know. So when you're working with a Muslim, while you know you you're not showing off your fasting, you do want to say, "Hey, I do fast. This is a part of my life, but this is why I fast, and this is how I fast." And and talking about it not from a physical standpoint, but a spiritual standpoint. And when you do that, and they understand that you genuinely do fast. It, it cuts quickly into their heart. So Ramadan is actually, while it's a spiritual prideful time, um, if you can break through that and let your friends know, hey, I do fast, this is a part of my spiritual discipline, um, it breaks down those barriers. And you can really go deep with the gospel as well. And that's why it's a spiritually, it's a warfare time. It, it's a, a, a spiritual, there's spiritual warfare that takes place during Ramadan, unlike other times, because they are thinking more spiritually during that month. So it's it's it all, obviously any time's a good time to share the gospel, but Absolutely. I guess you would say especially during the month of Ramadan. Right. You just need to be aware of those things, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that your friend is thinking you don't fast, you're an American, all you do is eat. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't a part of your life. So they can be quite prideful until they discover that this is a part of your life as well. So, so, John, you, you mentioned Ramadan as uh, being one of the, the pillars of Islam, but if you only had just, just a few minutes just to, to give a listener kind of a, a Islam in a nutshell, I mean, what, 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 does, what does that look like? What, what is a basic understanding uh, for Muslim beliefs? Yeah, J.D., in, in Islam, there are five pillars, and this is standard across the board, so it doesn't matter if you're Sunni or Shia, it doesn't matter if you're in Afghanistan or Morocco or Indonesia, these five things are standard. And that is you say the the creed, there's no God but God, and Muhammad is the prophet of God. You pray five times a day, you do Ramadan, you give your money to the poor, and if possible, you do the Hajj. 
And so everyone knows those. Now, from there, Islam breaks down, and, and there's lots of other things that, that happen within Islam, but, but those are the five fundamental pillars that everyone practices and everyone knows about. Um, if you're a Muslim, you know those five basic things. So, so Muslim, the Muslim world is, is very large, geographically and culturally diverse, uh, these are kind of the five common core, if you will. Uh, but is it correct to say that that Muslims are are not uniformed in all of their the details of their beliefs across the Muslim world? Absolutely, JD. You know, when when we lived in North Africa, everyone was Sunni, and there was a lot of of standard. It, it was the same. Most people believed the same things, but. As I have done and, and had the privilege of traveling more and more in the world, um, you get up to the stands where where communism just did a number on Islam. And uh, there there's almost a, uh, because atheism was was core, right? It was it was just preached through um, through the schools. There is a completely different understanding in depth of, of Islam there than there is in, in what we would call the, the central part. So you think about the Middle East, things are, are – uh, the closer you get to the epicenter of Saudi Arabia, the more fundamental Islam becomes. The further out you go, the, the more variant in belief you have. Mm, so. You go all the way out to North Africa, and you have a strong emphasis on on saints and prayers to the saints and pilgrimages to saints' tombs and and things like that, which you don't necessarily find in the in the Middle East. You go out to Indonesia, and again, you get a veneer of the pillars, but underneath there's all kinds of other stuff going on. So depending on who you're talking to and and where you are, will will determine what a Muslim knows. The other thing you have to remember that is is within Islam, the only thing authoritative is the Quran in Quranic Arabic. And uh, Quranic Arabic isn't even modern standard Arabic. It's, it's an old form of Arabic. So it would be the Arabic of the time of Muhammad. And you know how language changes anyway. But if, if Arabic isn't your native tongue, if it's not your language... Imagine reading the Quran only in that other language. So mm -hmm. while people learn to recite it, they learn to recite based off of sound, not necessarily an understanding of words. Mm -hmm. So when you're, if you're dealing with someone who is away from that, who, whose language isn't Arabic, you've got to understand that they can't even necessarily read the Quran um, for understanding. So the average person doesn't know what the Quran says. Now, you've, you've used a word that I think may be helpful for us to, to kind of understand. You, you said something about Sunni Muslims. I think you also said something about Shia at one time. What, what, what's, we hear about that in the news. I mean, what, what does that mean? Sure. So, so Sunni Muslims are, are the, it, the word literally means the majority. Shia is the minority. And what we think about here in the United States is, is that Sunnis are the Middle East and, and the majority of Muslims. Shias, we, we think about the dominant places of, of Shia Islam. And so really that's centered in Iran with the, with the Ayatollahs. There's a lot of Shias as well in in Iraq, and that's part of the whole political mess that's there. And then, of course, 
you go into Syria and Assad is actually a form of Shia. And that's that's a part of, of that whole issue. But the majority of Muslims are, are Sunni Muslims. Shias follow Ali. They believe that that uh, that Ali was the the designated one, the one who was supposed to have followed Muhammad, um, although Islam didn't didn't choose Ali until like the fourth caliph or the fourth leader of, of Islam after the death of Muhammad, of course. When I'm connecting with someone who's a Muslim, um, knowing that they at least generally hold to these five pillars, but recognizing that depending on where they're from in the world, as you, you shared, there are going to be different variations, different emphases in their belief system. Uh, can, you, can you share with us uh, a few things that maybe we need to keep in mind uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel uh, with a Muslim? Yeah, absolutely. So, so first of all, I think it's really important to understand that that Muslims hold Jesus in high regard. So Jesus is a prophet. When you when you read the Quran, you discover that Jesus in the Quran was born of a virgin. Um, you get some extra story in there about him eating a date right after birth, and I think even speaking. But but he's held in high regard. So. When you're sharing the gospel with a Muslim, it's important to understand that they know who Jesus is. Now, they don't have an understanding of Jesus as the Son of God or, or God himself. Mm-hmm. So when we think about God, we think in Trinitarian forms. We think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, Muslims are strict um, theists in, the, in the, that God is, is singular, um, and there is no way that he is Trinitarian. So there is this huge difference between us in that aspect. So when you're sharing with a Muslim, um, we can talk a lot about God and we have no, um, there's, there's no struggle, there's no debate, there's, there's, there's no problem. But when we get to Jesus, then this is, this is where things change and this is where things get tense. So what I always tell people is that we need to get to Jesus quickly and we need to establish the fact that we are different. And the way we do that is through Jesus. So a lot of Muslims that you'll meet here in the United States will say, oh, we're the same. We believe in the same thing. We believe in the same God. Well, in a sense, that's true, except for the fact that we believe Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. And a Muslim cannot say that. To say that is to, to commit shirk or to commit blasphemy. And so a Muslim won't do that. And But that's where we have to be. And they need to know immediately that we believe Jesus is God. And the easiest way to do that is by asking a Muslim, hey, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you about? And then you pray with them and they believe in prayer. Um, they, they talk about prayer, and so you can pray with them. But when you finish praying, always pray in the name of Jesus. Now, they won't get mad at you for that. Um, they know that you're a Christian, but it does establish the difference. Mm. And um, as far as they're concerned, you committed blasphemy when you did that, but that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You, you want to make sure they know that, hey, I trust Jesus. Jesus is God. And uh, by establishing that difference, then you're able to go further in gospel sharing. One of the dangers is we say, oh, we just want to get along, and so we just talk about God. Mm-hmm. That's nice, but we've, we've got to establish gospel. We've got to establish the difference in who Jesus is. What about uh, New Testament? Old Testament, maybe maybe a New Testament in their language, because the the Quran encourages them to to read the books of of the Christians, right? Even though they're 
distorted according to the Muslim view. Is that, is that correct? Yes, more or less that's correct. Um, early Quranic writings um, are favorable to Christians. Latter Quranic writings are a little bit more harsh. Mm-hmm. I know that as I have, have shared the gospel with, with Muslims uh, in the States, uh, and I've asked them you know, if they've read the NGL or if they've read the New Testament, uh, every one of them, has, they've, they've always said no. But, right. but I, I, I have noticed that if they, uh, particularly if they're maybe first generation and, and therefore English is not their, their heart language, if, if I've asked them if I could give them a copy in their, in their you know, native tongue, uh, they have been very open very open to receiving, you know, copies of New Testaments in, in their language. Have you found that to be the case here in, in North America? For the most part. So one of the things that, that we probably ought to talk about are just challenges of, of Muslims coming to faith. And one of the biggest challenges for Muslims to come to faith is what's called the Ummah. It's an Arabic word, which we would translate loosely as fellowship. Mm-hmm. And it's the community of Islamic believers and within Islam, the, the thing that binds them is this concept of community, fellowship, ummah. And so with, with Muslims, one of the hard things for them to, to do is to break out of that fellowship. And that's what coming to faith typically means. Um, because all of a sudden now, if they confess Jesus as Lord, so Romans 10, 9, and 10 mm-hmm. um, tells us that we have to confess Jesus as Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. Well, confession as Lord means that we are saying Jesus is God. Now, remember, that's completely contrary to Islam. Mm-hmm. So when a Muslim confesses Jesus as Lord, they are saying Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. Well, that that is to commit blasphemy within within Islam. So the community the community forces muslims together so if they see someone who is 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 reading the bible or is taking a bible or um is is coming to church or something along those lines a lot of times the community while in america they can't persecute that person Physically, they can persecute the person emotionally. So we've seen people who are in this process of coming to understanding who Jesus is who get completely shut out. Mm. Um, all of a sudden, imagine living in another country. You have all of these these other people from your country around you, but now they won't talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they insult you. They, um, they... You know, again, they can't physically persecute you, but they can emotionally. They, or at least not legally, they couldn't. Yeah. But, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they, but they, they'll quit coming to your house. They'll, they'll quit spending time with you, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's really hard when you're so tight. Community is so important. And this is why, as church, we have to be community. Um, I'm not sure we always understand what that means. Mm, that's a good point. Um, we, but but in in for for Middle Easterner um, uh, community is to feel presence. You know we we like to talk about uh, quality time with people, and I think we use that term often to avoid spending much time with people. Mm-hmm. But uh, a Middle Easterner um, and really people from all over the world, unlike um, unlike us, they they want to feel your presence. That that just means you have to be with people. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and that's hard for us. It, it really sounds like the whole concept of uh, biblical koinonia, biblical fellowship, is absolutely is something that uh, is critical to reaching Muslims with the gospel. It is critical, and they need to know that you are there. Um, and so, so this is, this is one of those big hurdles. And so just being with Muslims. So what you end up finding is that a lot of your time is just spent having tea, um, having meals, being in their home, them being in your home and, uh, just spending time together, texting them, just shooting them short texts saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you today, making short, quick phone calls. Um, it doesn't have to be you know, it's just that consistent being there mm-hmm. um, that is important to to folks from the Middle East, whether they're Muslims or Christian. My uh, guest today on Strike the Match uh, is Dr. John Clausen, who's the Associate Professor of Global Studies with Boyce College and Director of the Doctor of Missiology Program at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, both of those institutions in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we've been talking about uh, Islam, what Muslims believe, uh, how to share our, our faith uh, with with Muslims. Uh, you can find out more about this information in uh, John's book, Engaging with Muslims, Understanding Their World, uh, Sharing Good News. Uh, as a pastor, I highly recommend it to other pastors if you want uh, a resource uh, to put into the hands of your people. It's only about a 100-page book. Uh, It's easy to read, and it lays out some excellent uh, details that that gives the person in the pew a great grasp uh, on Islam and and how to effectively uh, share our faith uh, with our Muslim neighbors, whether they're across the street in a North American context or even to prepare us uh, for going across the world uh, as well. Uh, John, how could our listeners get in touch with you if they're interested in finding out more about you, about your ministry? I know you actually uh, travel the world and do trainings on this topic. Yeah, I would love to talk to you. You can write me at uh, J. Clausen. My spelling is unique. It's K-L-A-A-S-S-E-N at sbts.edu. Just write me at my school address. I would love to talk to you. Um, open that conversation, uh, and uh, and we can get to know one another and and see how we can share the gospel with the 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 Muslims that are in our midst. J K L A A S S E N at S B T S Southern Baptist Theological Seminary dot edu. John, mm-hmm. it has been great having you with us today. Thank you so much for taking out time of your, from your schedule and sharing with us today on Strike the Match. My pleasure, J.D. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.